Hello. I want to let you know that part two of our gender and sexuality advice episode is up on Patreon. It's available for everyone to listen to, and I will put the link in our show notes so that you can find it. Speaking of Patreon, we're doing a new thing where we basically are going to be live tweeting watches of terrible fantasy movies in our patron-only Discord. Um, the first one of these is going to be on July 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, and we're going to be watching Warriors of Virtue, which is a movie about anthropomorphic ninja kangaroos. Um, if you're a patron of ours and you haven't set up your Discord yet, make sure you do that before then. And with that... Uh, tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. <laughs> it's almost as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemy for every time we bring up that. Want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about chapters 66 and 67 of Carry On, in which Penny is our POV, and she regrets bringing Agatha, and Agatha regrets being here on Christmas Eve with her ex in the middle of a murder mystery. Um, Penny is also pretty oblivious to Simon and Baz's ripe sexual tension, as is Agatha, who assumes that Simon will leave with them. After some meaningful looks with Baz, Simon caves to peer pressure and leaves with the girls. Chapter 67. Baz. Uh, pining vampire in aisle 7. Pining vampire in aisle 7. Uh, <laughs> Baz is sitting still in the library just holding his violin. And his dad comes to him to try to figure out why the fuck Simon and some other people who are sympathetic to the mage were in his home. Baz lies through his teeth about the whole ordeal, and his dad believes him. Uh, thankfully, a very short time later, Simon comes back to the house because, duh. And in this chapter, we get two POVs, no waiting, because now <laughs> Simon is here to tell us that, you know, he was just really desperate to make sure that their makeout session wasn't a one-off, because he promptly realized what a mistake he's made getting in the car with Agatha and Penny, and literally runs back to Baz's house to have Christmas Eve dinner with the Grimpitches. Simon bears his little confused heart to Baz that he wants to be Baz's boyfriend. Of course, with as much rich people disdain as Baz can muster, he alludes to saying yes. <laughs> In so many words. None of them were yes, but okay. <laughs> I think there was... A solid affirmative. It was it was an affirmative. It just is very funny that he's just very bad about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh before we get into it, just a reminder, we're spoiling everything through the end of this book, which is rapidly approaching, but nothing from the sequels. And with that, we will enter. Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Oh, man. I think you should start because I think you clearly have something you want to say. <laughs> no, I am like just looking through my notes, deciding which one I want to say first. I really love Baz. <laughs> little. Of course I can see myself in the mirror. Simon Snow is a fool. <laughs> Such... A good line. Such a good I mental know. image. Um, also, Ella will at him, like, practicing his sort of rich person, you can't tell what I'm thinking look in the first place. <laughs> I love it. I it's love so it. cute. <laughs> <sighs> I just want to start off just... Uh, saying that I think Agatha is so valid in her feelings that just because all of your friends and the dude that you would be have you thought you had a crush on slash is your enemy slash question mark question mark question mark are all solving a murder does not mean you have to be dragged unwillingly into solving a murder. 
Heck yeah. She she's she gets all the sympathy for that for sure. Yeah. Even if it is very funny that she does not like mysteries, given that the most famous of Agathas perhaps is Agatha Christie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think that's on purpose? That's cute. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. I guess I can't imagine anyone naming their child Agatha without thinking about Agatha Christie in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, especially in the UK. Yeah. Um. Oh, so I, and I assume you as well, am overjoyed that an adult in this book is bringing up therapy to a traumatized young person as an option. I love it. I love it so much. I'm like, yes, Baz's dad. Even though it's like weird how much he's like, it's your mom's idea. It's entirely your mother's idea. I'm just the bearer of the message. Even though like he wouldn't bring it up if he didn't also think it was a good idea. But whatever. Yeah. I'll let him have his whatever is driving that because like fuck yes. Them mm-hmm. being like, look, you can talk around it. Like you, but maybe, maybe you should talk to someone. It's 15 years late, uh, but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Baz should really consider it more seriously than his like, uh, okay, dad, <laughs> way that he does. Yeah. Oh, um, I also want to live in a house that screams kill a virgin and then write a really cool album. <laughs> but maybe the like mid-century modern version of that. I don't know. What does that look like? I don't know. I'm like trying to imagine it and I just... I feel like a house that screams Sacrifice a Virgin and write a Led Zeppelin album does not have enough natural light for me. That's true. I'm like a little baby plant. I get real unhappy when I don't have enough natural light. You know, honestly, same. That's why I was like, I don't actually want the, like, dark, hulking kind of, like, I just want, like, it's ominous and unsettling, and also there are weirdly shaped windows in the walls for no reason, <laughs> um, which is a thing you can't find in mid-century modern architecture. Oh, that's true. Yeah, just something that you, like, walk in and you're, like, vaguely unsettled by. <laughs> it's like... <sighs> anyway... If I ever find something that reminds me of that, I will definitely send it to you. Please do. <sighs> oh, I super love Penny's argument to Agatha that they're not conspiring against the mage. They're conspiring apart from him. <laughs> I mean, you know, semantics are important. <laughs> uh-huh. It's also the perfect use of ellipses, I feel like. That is exactly what that punctuation was designed for. This is true. Yeah. What is my next thing? Oh, uh, so just in the first bit of 67 where we get like Baz just sort of in the library just holding his violin. In my brain, I'm like he's also wearing a like really expensive silk dressing gown for like no reason at all. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he wearing his suit? Is he already wearing his suit? I thought he went to go change into... His, like, dinner dinner attire. But isn't that... Oh, that's when his dad comes in. Sorry, I thought that was when his sister comes to tell him. No, you're right. He's not. So, yeah, he should... Mm-hmm. Headcanon accepted. He's All definitely right. wearing a dressing gown. Oh, man. The way that Baz's family eats uh, that Simon m- remarks upon where they're just like, it's just them. And yet they're all, like, super fancy... And then Simon's like, I didn't think rich people really did this. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if rich people don't do this. And Baz's family just does it to make a scene. <laughs> That's great. You know, honestly, yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know. It's kind of like, it sort of depends on the rich person. For instance, Ina Garten would never, but Martha Stewart totally would, I think. Dress for dinner. Dress for dinner. Yeah. So it, it is really funny because it does seem like for what? Also, I see Fiona has not has also not come to this Christmas dinner. <laughs> this Christmas Eve dinner. Oh, that's a really good point. Huh. 
Yeah, she's like, if I'm coming, I'm wearing my torn fishnets and you're going to have to deal with it. And they're like, don't come. Yeah. Um. Also on Fiona, who just shout out to Fiona, who is such a real one, who when Baz's dad forgets about Christmas, which, you know, okay, you're in incredible grief about like the love of your life. I get that. But you have like a five-year-old son. Like you couldn't have slapped something you have around the house together, like literally anything. But here's Fiona bringing like a giant stuffed Paddington bear, which I'm like. Yeah. Like probably the size of five-year-old Baz because Fiona seems extra like that. And also, if I was a sad five-year-old, I would have also enjoyed a teddy bear that is the exact same height as me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was so tender. I know. She's got such such a little soft spot. Right, and so she's also grieving too. Like that's her like fucking sister that she like admires and looks up to, but she still remembered about Bass. Yeah. <laughs> so <sighs> Okay, this is my last thing here. It's just that Baz's family is just written to be so haunted. Like the children who laugh at Simon for being afraid of a wraith, which is like, you should be afraid of wraiths. I think that's the point of them. Yeah. So that's just already, like, very creepy that they're like, LOL, (laughs) you're scared of scary things. But then we also have these twins that are just so obviously a reference to The Shining. And because there's like, especially because we sort of meet them at this fancy dinner where everyone's dressed up. So you have to imagine them in, like, matching Victorian children's clothes. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) They're just like, they're so scary. I can't imagine them not scary yeah i feel like the whole vibe is like a less likable less sincere adam's family yep like baz's dad is super hot but his hair is all white and he's wearing a suit that i'm sure makes him look more like a vampire than baz looks an actual vampire (laughs) yeah maybe uh and yeah and you just imagine him this like huge table with like what like the six of them and it's just like elaborate antique silverware and like crystal plates and shit and simon's just like what movie (laughs) 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 who who are you doing this for no one else is watching (laughs) i know i love that the baby's high chair is like hand carved you know probably has been in the family since ages and ages ago and is probably super uncomfortable and also super unsafe (laughs) and they're like yeah fuck whatever like progress has been made in terms of baby high chair technology since the 1500s this one is terrifyingly spooky and has probably gargoyles carved in it that baby is also definitely holding a straight up silver rattle like you cannot tell me otherwise definitely Maybe maybe this is the reason why Fiona didn't go to this. This sounds like so much. <laughs> Fiona's like oh, eat, eating curry and like drinking a six pack with her friends right now. <laughs> yeah. Which sounds way better. Honestly, yeah. Though the food, according to Simon, is very good. Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. Uh, Shall we start with Penny, since the chapters start with Penny? Yeah. She starts off trying to very, very hard and very unbelievably to convince us and probably also herself that she had a motive for bringing Agatha besides you have a car. Which was her whole motive for yeah. bringing Agatha. And now she's like, I just, I just, you know, she and Simon need to get over this fight. And like, in the part where she's like, Agatha needs to be distracted. And I just wrote, distracted from what? Agatha's fine. Like, she's been fine since she broke up with Simon. None of this shit has anything to do with her. What are you doing, Penny? Like, <laughs> no one is buying this. I know, I know. And it's so funny because... I really like this chapter because, like, you can, you know, Penny is observing so much. And so that we, the reader, are like, wow, you are totally 
<laughs> misconstruing what is happening. And it's also just kind of like juicy because it's like, do you not feel the obvious sensual texture? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like even if she's noticing it, she is doing so much work to sort of retroactively give herself an excuse for having brought Agatha here, which now has compromised the entire investigation because they're all really worried that Agatha's going to snitch. So like, she's so, she's so busy that there's no possible way that she could pick up on it. And, you know, she's like, Oh, like the love triangle. And then, you know, turns basically turns to us, the reader and is like, but it's so, ridiculous i can't be expected to remember that this is happening and it's like you you did remember that this was happening like we heard you remember that this was happening when you were convincing agatha (laughs) to go help simon right you're just doing a lot of work right now because you feel guilty (laughs) because agatha's about to go fucking rat you guys out so i don't know i don't know what to tell her but she's doing a lot yeah yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. Dear, dear sweet Penny. Yeah, sometimes her self justifications are very funny. Yeah. All right, I think I talked about. Oh, sorry, I do have one more thing about Penny, which is, lol, about Penny speculating if Simon is a virgin or not, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, you guys tell each other everything. Is that where this stops? And it's like, you know, whatever. It's totally fine, but. And then the way that she's thinking it, I'm like, have you have you literally ever had this thought in the entire time that Simon has been dating Agatha? Until you're like, oh no, what if Baz and his family had tried to like sacrifice him in their fucking creepy goth manner? Like... <sighs> uh, they, I don't think they tell each other. I think that must be their line because it's also very clear at the beginning of the book that Penny has had sex over the summer and she doesn't. She doesn't tell Simon about it. She gets kind of like cagey. Mm, no, just sort of like let's change the subject mm-hmm. when Simon tries to be like, "How's Micah?" and she's like, "Anyway, <clears throat> let me just blush and move on." Yeah. To the question of whether she's ever thought about it before, I that is a really good question. She might not have. I feel like Penny has a little bit of that sort of like neurodivergent object permanence kind of thing going on where like what's going on with simon when he's not with her isn't really any of her business unless Uh it like becomes her business later yeah which is fine but also means that probably she doesn't you know if he comes back from his christmas holidays with agatha penny's not going to be like tell me everything that you did over the holidays with agatha true yeah that makes sense Speaking of Agatha, shall we talk about her? Let's talk a little bit about Agatha. Cool. What do you have? Um, I guess I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper. I mean, not deeper, but like, th- I mean, to the extent that like Agatha does not care about this like crime fighting Scooby Doo shit that's happening around her, I really think that Simon actually puts it in perspective for me when when he's like, we only really have these kind of interactions when we're being kidnapped or stranded or we're in this like well death trap thing that is such a specific example it's like oh so that's happened to you and it's like okay so if Agatha has spent a lot of her relationship with you being in mortal danger I would definitely not have a taste for being like you're trying to in intentionally be part of something that is like dangerous what is wrong with all of you yeah definitely I felt the same way I think it also says something about, like, something very sad about Simon, that he can sort of feel like it's, question mark, unreasonable of Agatha to get on these rants when they're in these, right, like, mortal peril situations, because he's just like, another day in the life, you know? He's like, oh, she's getting all ranty about it just because we're, like, about to die. And I think that's a little bit tragic. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, because Simon has obviously normalized these sort of terrible things that are happening to him. He's like, you're like, that's just the day... Right, that's the the walk of the chosen one. 
is always right. being in mortal peril. And Agatha's is like, I'm just a regular ass person. I did not sign up for this shit. I do not want to be in this ridiculous jigsaw X bullshit trap in a well that's slowly rising with water while we figure yeah. out how to get out of it, you know? Yeah. You know what it actually does kind of give me? It kind of gives me like season four, season five, like Anya vibes, where it's like, I'm just here because my boyfriend is with you freaks, but like, I don't actually want to endanger myself or him. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, even, even season three, Anya, right? Cause she's like, here's all the information you need about this Ascension and I'm leaving town. Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with self-preservation in the face of just a ridiculous amount of danger. You know, especially when you're not a chosen one who's like, this is just what I have to deal with all the time. And everyone right. else is like, actually, yeah, I'm going to go get a hotel like three counties over while you attempt to murder this giant snake demon. Good luck. Hope right. you don't get eaten, you know? Yeah. I wanted to ask you, why do you think that she is insisting that Simon come home with her? Uh, So I think it is... Some combination of habit slash familiarity of having Simon at Christmas with her family mm-hmm. and not wanting to leave Simon in this creepy house with Baz and his family. Uh, I can't, I don't know what percentage of what, but it is definitely some kind of like swirly combination of both of those things is what I think. Yeah, that makes sense. It feels sad to me that she feels, like, obligated to have him there when she was quite clear that she did not want him to come home with her. Mm-hmm. That sort of, this is just, like, such a bad day for Agatha. She didn't want to come here in the first place. Now she's, like, complicit in all of this stuff that she didn't want to know about. And now she has to fucking have Simon at home with her for the next week or however long until they go back to school. She already gave up all this time that she was going to spend with her normal friends because she had to hang out with Penny because she felt obligated. Like, this just sucks for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it's difficult for Agatha to really be insistent about her personal needs and usually just sort of fold into the needs of of others, which is... Mm-hmm. Definitely a fucked up gendered thing. And like, I also think definitely just kind of like, she's already just sort of, she finds it difficult to question and like the expectations of like her family and like who she should be, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So, and this also plays into it, you know? Yes. <sighs> um, Baz? Baz. So you mentioned earlier, we see Baz sort of intentionally imitating the way that his dad moves and talks which is very tender i feel like i i don't know why i find it like touching to see that that this is something that baz is cultivating and that he sort of like looks up to his dad for i mean i think this is maybe the like first maybe positive thing about his dad that he is doing that it kind of like is showing that like you know maybe he's not a great dad but like baz still like looks up to him in some capacity, wants to be like him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is very touching. I feel like we see it. Uh, we see it pay off to the part where Simon is like, "I can't tell if Baz is being legitimately rude or if he's just doing it for like for show for his family." And I was like, "Oh, Baz was like working on that just earlier this chapter." So good job, Baz. Yeah. <laughs> <Well done. laughs> uh, I actually kind of want to uh, continue along with that that I think it is funny slash sad that Baz like dissing his his sister for like not bothering with doing all of that when she like comes into his room and he's like you have to knock and she's like fine whatever and just whatever and it's just kind of like yeah she doesn't care about doing all that like rich people fucking persona bullshit and it's like it's okay (laughs) she doesn't fucking have to (laughs) like let her live (laughs) She's also, what, like, seven, nine, somewhere in there? She hasn't, she doesn't have to start cultivating that yet, even if she is going to end up feeling like she does have to. Yeah. She's still just a little little kid. Who still believes in Santa. Yeah. I know. Uh, I, and you might have this, 
I just had so many feelings about kind of the end of the of the chapter when Baz is eating and like Simon is like, uh, no, your fangs are fucking cool. And I'm like, Baz being seen for like the first time by someone who's not his family and not being judgy. And I'm like, oh my God. I know. Yes. <sighs> uh, yeah. And I think it's it's even more underlined because Baz is so self-conscious about his fangs that he won't even eat in front of his family. Like, yeah. who, who are the only people who officially know yeah, and then having Simon be like, wicked. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really good. I just love it so much. What? I said I just love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not like all the best things that I have. The rest that I have here is about the way, not like, not like the exciting part of the conversation about the way that Simon and Baz become boyfriends, but sort of the what we see of both of them about that situation. So we see, you know, Baz before Simon comes back being like, I shouldn't even have been surprised. Like I'd been trying to tell him that like this was nothing and whatever. And then again, being like super shitty when Simon comes back, continuing this, like, I mean, it's like Baz, he like came back to your house. He walked again down your like muddy icy driveway to come back and baz is like why are you back so we can tumble around and kiss and pretend to be boyfriends and it's like stop but then simon is just like like so earnest he's so (laughs) frustrated and also just like yes like yes that is why i'm here let's do that let's go and obviously baz can't come back with anything to that he's just like fine let me get you a suit (laughs) (laughs) but i don't have no quippy you know shitty thing to say to that i know i feel like that moment i was just like in my brain i just feel like simon was like oh i can't believe i like this guy (laughs) yes that is exactly what i would like to do (laughs) dumbass like, you think I would just walk through like two miles of like mud and snow just for anyone? I would not, sir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <sighs> and then just I want to return really quick to how much I appreciate Simon's chillness about his sexuality and you know, I, I feel like Simon's relationship to his sexuality is much closer to what I hope eventually society's relationship to the idea of sexuality will be, which is like no one ever has to come out any more than straight people currently have to come out, which mm. is by being like, I have a crush on fill in the blank person or like yeah. I'm dating fill in the blank person. And he's just like, I don't know if I'm gay, maybe partly. And that part is the part that is demanding the most of my attention right now. So, like, I don't know what more than that is relevant to this situation, but I don't really think it is. Like, I like you, so I can deal with, like, what happens if you and I break up at a later date if it becomes relevant. But what, like, that doesn't have anything to do with the relationship that I am attempting to cultivate with Baz in this moment. Yeah, exactly. I really like it. It is very, it is very nice. Uh, speaking of which, do you want to move on to Simon? Yeah. I did have to note his sort of, I mean, obviously, you know, Simon is not defining his sexuality, so we're not also going to define his sexuality, but I will at least talk about that precise moment of like bisexual panic where Simon is like, am I jealous about Agatha kissing Baz or Baz kissing Agatha? Is it both? And I'm like... <laughs> It'd be like it'd be like that sometimes, you know. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, know it's so good, and I love that he's okay with that. He's like, "Yep, both." Yep. <sighs> oh, Simon. Um, I actually don't have anything else about him, so. Uh, I just have one more thing, which is okay. So we get obviously the end of the chapter. Simon is describing the ways in which he was a bad boyfriend to Agatha. A lot of which is just. He was not maybe as, I don't know. He just was not, it was not a good connection because of like, he was not giving her what she needed and maybe was not as 
mentally into the relationship as he thought he was. But Simon just is really showing up here for Baz, I feel like, in these couple of chapters. He's like tenderly concerned that Baz has an eating disorder when he's like not eating at the table. And I'm like, I know. You're, you're clearly obviously very observant of what Baz is doing. And then you come back and you're like, yeah, obviously. I, and he's like, I felt really bad and I didn't want you to like feel bad about me leaving. So I came back and I'm like, you're actually already doing the like good boyfriend stuff here, Simon. So I actually wanted to talk about this. So he's like, I did what I thought she wanted me to do. And I always got it wrong. And I never once felt like I was getting it right in three years. I think it's really important to bring into this that Agatha is aromantic Mm -hmm. and Simon was never going to get the feedback that he was looking for from like anything that he did, which is not Agatha's fault and it's not his fault. Like Simon seems to be actually like a really great boyfriend and like there was just a, you know, default incompatibility that neither of them had the words to describe or really the ability to recognize yeah so like i yeah i think i think you're right like he's actually just fundamentally wrong about what kind of boyfriend he is and it's it's no one's fault that that's true yeah i do feel bad where he was like i didn't want to break up with her because it wasn't her fault and i'm like you should have broken up with her so you could have spared her feelings (laughs) like right and your own, honestly. Yeah. I wasn't going to break up with her. It wasn't her fault that I was unhappy in the relationship. Like, that's not how one evaluates whether or not you should break up with someone. No. They can be great and you can still be unhappy. And then then you break up. Like, that's good and fine. I don't know. I feel like we, I feel like I do see a lot of like advice column questions. People are like, this person is great, but I'm unhappy. Should I break up? And it's like, yes. Like, (laughs) it doesn't matter if they quote unquote look good on paper, whatever the fuck that means. It's just like, you don't, it doesn't have to be terrible to break up with someone. Like, if you're not feeling it, you should move on. I, I think there's one exception to that, which is when you, and this is me speaking from experience, like when you have a like, history of just dating terrible people who therefore the relationship just feels like much more intense all the time. If mm. that's what you're comparing a relationship with like a good person to, I feel like in some circumstances you need to just like breathe into it for a while and see how the relationship feels after like you get, you know, past the everything's not on fire all the time this must be like a boring relationship and it's like what if you just like try to learn what relationships that aren't on fire all the time feel like it might not actually be boring after all so sometimes sometimes you should just stick with it no that's a that's a really good point so what it what it needs is a dare i say a vibe check is that <laughs> uh, you guys, are, I'm old. I don't know if you realize this. But... <laughs> Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. And also politics. <laughs> what podcast this is. <laughs> <sighs> what are you first? Um, so this is actually a positive. Um, there are no magical cops in this world. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are no uh, social magical social services or any kind of magical health and wellness, as Penny very pointedly points out. Say that three times fast. Um, (laughs) And the mages men are not cops. They are, in fact, a militia, which Mm -hmm. no one wants. Mm -mm. I I don't care what the U.S. Constitution says. Militias shouldn't exist because it's just lynching mobs. I feel like really what militias are, at least in the United States. Yeah. And possibly with the mage right now and his merry men or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Given that there is no magical law enforcement, who enforces violations like, oh, it's illegal to do compulsion spells? And who does the locking up in towers of people who 
you know, get in duels with Baz's cousins and whatever. Maybe that's what they're like. What is it? The Council of Mages or whatever. The Coven. The Coven. I don't know how you detect that, though. That's an excellent question. Yeah, I mean... But, it, it, but if the, if that's what the coven does, how does that not make them law enforcement, I guess? I'm trying to figure out what the distinction is. Probably that they, that's not all that they do. And there's not like they're out patrolling or policing stuff as much as the like, I did a fucked up thing. I don't know. I don't know. I'm really blanking out, but I know that there are ways to do these kind of things without cops. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. I guess my thinking on it was that it just seems it seems like the way that their justice system works and as far as they have any sort of justice system it feels too reminiscent of our justice system for there not to be like something that's essentially acting as cops because it's not like they're doing any sort of like restorative justice with folks who break these laws. They just lock them in towers, which mm-hmm. maybe it's all like community like citizens arrest kind of deal like community mm. like kind of like a community accountability only still not great if you're locking people on towers yeah 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 Yeah. so piggybacking off of that penny talking about wanting magical social programs which obviously yes um and then she says we're in desperate need of reforms and agatha says the mage is the great reformer and then penny says oh anyone can call themselves that <laughs> which i feel like is a th- something that we all need to like carve into our souls like carry with us all the time just because someone says that they are a thing does not actually make them the thing right even if they're in a position where they should be doing where they should be the thing does not mean that they are even if it looks like they're the thing thinking of even something as a small scale as like joss whedon yelling at everyone that he's a feminist all the time just because you say you're a feminist and like make shows about strong women doesn't actually make you a feminist. You don't just get to say a thing and make it true. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, I always find that very off-putting, and I'm like, you guys, there's no one else put off by this. <laughs> like, it's like saying you're an ally. It's like you don't have to keep saying that. You can just do the thing <laughs> yeah. and like go about your life feel in the knowledge that you are a good and, and like you know, morally right person. <laughs> and not yeah. just like, I'm going to wear a t-shirt that says ally. I'm going to tell <laughs> everyone in every interview what a feminist I am. Like, Yeah. Um, my only other thing here is just a little yuck about the Baz's line, my stepmother's blood is thin as gruel. Such a fucking douchebag rich person thing to say. Whatever the yeah. UK version of a wasp is, that's just very much like, oh, they have such low breeding. And it's like, what the fuck are yeah. you talking about? Yeah, it's super gross. You know, it's like, could you just tone down that level of pretension a little bit? <laughs> You're talking about your blood relatives. <laughs> like, Jesus, fuck. Right? It also is just weird because it is like about her personality in a way that i feel like is not like born you know yeah like she's nine she doesn't she doesn't need to know how to fucking properly conduct herself in the home she's a fucking child right and to and to blame it somehow on like his stepmom is just fucking ridiculous on her right you can maybe blame it on her like her parenting but not on her bloodline like come on now calm down yeah Welcome to I'm Just a Poor Boy, where we ask you for support. And this week, I am asking in earnest for you folks to go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it makes us really happy. But also when people, as I'm sure listeners know, go to look at a new show, part of part of how they decide whether or not to listen is by looking at how many ratings and reviews it has. So it's really helpful. Um, as long as you have an Apple ID, even if you don't listen in Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review and it would make us really happy. And I just want to say thank you to our three most recent reviewers, Overdue Carrier Pigeon, Jerry Reed, and Quizby. Overdue Carrier Pigeon. What an excellent user handle. I know. It's really good. <laughs>
Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. I just feel so bad about Baz eating alone in his room, which he probably happens all of the time. And part of it might be him feeling a way about it. But I also kind of wonder if part of it is his family being like, actually, you should be doing this in private because no one wants to see your horrendous snake fangs or whatever the fuck is going on in his mouth. Oh, that's terrible. You know what? Do you think his siblings know that he's a vampire? Actually, I don't know because I wrote that in my notes about him eating alone in his room. And it's like, I don't know if they do, you know? I mean, besides the fang thing, like, how would they? I mean, they do keep a forest stocked with deer and stuff for him to eat on the property. But even so, I, you know, that would be really easy for him to not let his siblings see. I guess now that I think about it, I'm going to go on the side that they don't know. Mainly because since it's so dangerous for anyone to know he's a vampire, you probably wouldn't necessarily want to trust and information to children until they're right. old enough to be like, okay, but this is serious. Don't fucking tell anyone. Right. You know? Yeah, that's true. That is a lot to ask a kid to carry. Yeah. Um, speaking of sad, Baz things, that story, that Christmas story is like, that is one of his defining childhood moments is the year that Santa fucking didn't come after his mom died oh my god it's so crushing i'm just like like a literal baby like a literal baby like waking up and be like i was so bad it's my fault that santa didn't come is like (sighs) oh my god oh my god rainbow rowell is just like so good at being like Fucking carving your heart out of your chest like she's one of the gentlemen in Buffy. Just. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I feel like this is the reason why so many fans are concerned about (laughs) the last book. I am so concerned about the last book. Oh my god. I think I'm just going to have to go into it with incredibly low expectations. (laughs) So... But yeah, I know. It's it's so fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, this imaginary conversation that Simon is having with Agatha about him and Baz getting together, my rant is just that it's such good writing. Yeah. She, like, the progression of the things he imagines her saying, you're not even gay, Simon. You're not even gay, and he's not even alive. You're not even gay, and he's not even alive, and that isn't even the worst part of this idea. What will the mage say? Just, it's gutting. Yeah. It's gutting, and it's kind of like, I mean, I mean, you know, at least in this book, that's not how she reacts, but it's also kind of like, you know, she has her own sort of character arc. But it's just so, yeah, it's just so good how it progresses and just sort of his, like, sort of increasing need to be like, oh, now I really just got to go back. Go back to the house. I made such yeah. a terrible mistake. Yeah. You can feel his sense of stress just mounting. Right. That car scene is so stressful. Yeah, yeah. If there's ever, like, a movie or a show of these books, that's going to be fucking stressful. Because it's, like, both, like, Agatha maybe is not yelling, but she is palpably angry. And then at some point, Penny is yelling or they're arguing, like, at Simon together. And I'm like, ugh, 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 ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Though, to be real, this would be better as a television series than a movie. But it's just me. Yeah. Though I guess, I don't know, it could, go, it could go either way, I suppose. It could. I feel like this takes place over a short enough period of time that it would be easier to do a movie adaptation than a lot of other books. Yeah. Because you don't have to sort of like, you know, the Harry Potter books span a, a year. That's a lot to try and fit into two and a half hours. Yeah. So also so much of this book is like feelings, which you can show in you know 30 seconds what takes like 10 pages to say no no it's it's totally you're totally right and i think just like yeah so like what is there like over 100 chapters of this like you could you could definitely with a good enough adaptation yeah get this town to like two and a half hours tops yeah in a way that would still feel very it it still would feel like a very like tight and succinct movie yeah um, and then I just have 
one more this writing rant there the the scene in which simon and baz like become boyfriends so simon's like i want this if you'll let me have it i want to be your boyfriend your terrible boyfriend and then it's like a page later of them going back and forth where baz is like you can have this if you want it and then we hit the end of the page like the end of the chapter and it's just simon saying to us not to baz i do I have never finished reading this chapter without getting chills, including the three times that I read this chapter in the hour before <laughs> recording. Like, it was I so every good. single time. So good. Oh, it's so good. I know. Another boyfriend. It only took 67 yeah. chapters. <laughs> uh, 67 chapters, but also I feel like the page count is maybe even more relevant. It took us 391 pages for them to become boyfriends. So if you love a slow burn, you're really going to love this. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right. Speaking of. Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. Hey folks, we're going to get a lot more explicit about sex acts in this discussion than we often do. So I'm going to put some minutes in the show notes that you can skip ahead to if you just want to skip the explicit stuff and then come back for the rest of the less explicit sexy discussions. Is Simon a virgin? I don't know. That is a good question. I think if we're referring to like penis and vagina sex, yes. I think that Agatha and Simon probably fooled around to what capacity, I'm not sure. But yeah, just I feel like obligatory statement virginity is a social construct. I think that if we're counting, like, all forms of sex as sex, then Simon is definitely not a virgin. Oh, yeah. You're right that they probably haven't had penetrative sex, but I feel like all the things that people do up to that point, they've probably done. Yeah, probably. You don't get as good at making out as Simon is without practice. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that also kind of depends on, because I feel like even with Agatha's sort of in general lack of pushback about voicing her needs, I feel like I could definitely imagine her having kind of hard boundaries when it comes to like sex acts of various kinds. So I don't know if they've done everything you could do besides penetrative sex, but maybe like most of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. As someone who was a very sexually active teenager, I feel like society makes penetrative sex this like weird, like hard boundary. And then everything like, before that feels sort of like equal it's like Mm -hmm. once your clothes are off everything else that you could be doing is sort of like the same but like that is like oh that's like a big deal for absolutely no reason so i guess i'm like yeah i don't see why they would maybe like sort the rest of that out in a way that would feel important Mm mm-hmm and I know a lot of folks want us to read Agatha as asexual, but I just have a really hard time imagining that Simon is as good at making out as he is if he wasn't doing that with a like passionately receptive partner. Yeah, I guess I'm just like thinking that maybe I guess just in I guess just in my brain for Agatha, I think there were maybe a couple of things that she deemed in her brain as being too intimate that she did not necessarily feel comfortable doing with simon but was just kind of like but other things was kind of like whatever what are you need to be more specific okay like i think okay so i think that like you know obviously there was like some like fondling and obviously some like hand jobs fingering of some sense but like i don't necessarily know if like if simon offered to go down on agatha she'd be like into that but i feel like she probably gave him blowjobs because that just is a thing that like society has told teen girls that it's okay to give to your boyfriends you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's fair 
I do feel like, I mean, Agatha's in a weird place. Like she's friends with Penny, who I think would be like, you know, if you're giving oral sex, you better also be receiving oral sex. Like feminism, go. But also she is raised in this weird, like sort of behind the time sort of wealthy world that would probably give her weird feelings about that. But also rich kids are a lot more... I think into everything. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I, and I and I think you're right and especially kind of given maybe the sort of like Yeah, I mean it's I, I guess it's hard to say cuz it's like she's also hanging out with her like normal teen girlfriends who like are definitely probably doing whatever the fuck they want to with their boyfriends or girlfriends that and it's, I mean it's not like she doesn't like know what her friends are doing and like all of the ways that she could be also having sex with Simon that's not um P and V but I guess it is because I have this you know we get from kind of the sense from like Agatha's chapters that she's like kind of holding everyone a little bit at arm's length and maybe she's holding Simon at like half an arm's length Mm. and so I'm just kind of like wondering how that translates to the kind of sex that they were having so yeah at the very least Simon was like very openly the offer was on the table to go the offer was definitely on the table yeah um yeah he's like too nice of a kid to just be like well i want to make you feel good too you know kind of deal yeah um yes what do you have uh that uh bez's dad sounds hot that's all right (laughs) (laughs) like he sounds like a sexy vampire in a way that bez also is tries to look like a sexy vampire uh he has that widow's peak going on his hair is like totally white this this like reddish black suit that he wearing he's wearing sounds awesome and it's like yeah okay a pit viper in a pinstripe suit yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i'm here for it and i'm definitely here for it yeah yeah he's like probably just like so like quietly stern <laughs> It's just okay. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had that and then I also have two other suit related notes. Uh, cause Baz's suit sounds great. Right? Oh yeah. With a like deep pink tie too oh baz your fashion senses i know this this whole chapter is very much like yes suit porn (laughs) give it to me yeah and i mean simon is way into it he sure is i love everything about baz in this suit yes um and then we also get oh such a good line like because we get all this buildup of baz being like i'm not wearing the suit that Daphne bought for me because like I don't want to wear gray whatever and then we like get to the end of the chapter and we or his piece of the chapter and we just get Simon looks stunning in a gray suit like just just that single line and you're like way to understate what's happening Baz but also like so what you mean is he looks good enough to eat in that suit and you want a piece of that uh yeah thank you exactly yeah and we don't get to know about what they do tonight, uh, do, which do is know. a fucking shame. But I think we can all agree that they have a lot of fun taking each other's suits off. Oh, hell yeah. So many buttons, you know? Yeah, because they don't say it, but one of their suits definitely has a, 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 like a, a vest with it, I think. Oh, yeah. Simon's. Definitely. Yeah. So I know we've already gotten this, but Simon lets us know again that he does not like it when Bass slicks back his hair. <laughs> he <laughs> likes it when it's loose and falling in his face. Um, and then also just he's so into Baz's fangs, which is like really hot. And can't fault him for that. You a few chapters ago, I think, pointed out that Simon wants Baz to bite him. And I think we really get some confirmation of that here. But my last note here is like actually 
just this like teenage boy joke that happens in this chapter where someone <laughs> says, I can't believe there's a part of your body that just grows when you need it. <laughs> and Bass is like, sir, can you hear yourself? <laughs> I know it's just like it's like did th- did those words really come out of your mouth Simon before you realize what it sounded like uh, so good so good but yeah totally this totally just confirms to me that he wants uh Bass to bite him yeah and like who wouldn't I mean that's let's be real about that being part of the appeal of sexy vampires um and now unfortunately I have to give you what I think is going to be a hard kiss kill improvise. Okay. So your choices this week are our golden trio of Penny, Simon, and Agatha. Oh, interesting. Okay. Wow, this is hard. I know. I don't want to kill any of them. All right, here's... Well, shit. This is really hard. All right, this is really hard, but I'm going to have to kiss Simon because clearly he is very good at it. And who am I to deny his uh, hard-earned gifts? <laughs> um, probably improvise with Penny because she seems like such a nerd that that would be a good time. And unfortunately, kill Agatha, even though it wounds me to do so. But you know what they say, snitches get stitches. So. <laughs> Yep, you, you, yep. Maybe it could be really dramatic where I like stab her on like a misty moor and then I'll be, and then it'll be like so very like gothic that she'll be like not as sad. That's true. You could like give her an outfit. Right. She's wearing like a white gown and she's just like her hair is blowing in the wind and then like, I don't know, could say something like ominous and poetic and it'd be great. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. And before we get into this chapter, I actually have some fun listener update science. For us. Yes. Um, Tell me more. So the first one is actually, I think they were responding to our Chuck Tingle uh, book episode, but it applies to this chapter. Apparently, a love triangle that does not complete all three sides is a love vertex. Aha! Thank you, mathematicians. Thank yeah, cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, so basically every love triangle that's ever been discussed is actually a love vertex. Which somehow sounds cooler, but I guess people are, have an easy time imagining a triangle. Yeah. Um, and then we have some uh, we have some vampire baby making updates. All right. With two, here, here two for competing it. ideas. Okay. So one, the first one's from Ari, who says, Your friendly neighborhood biologist here to report that Baz would need to keep his sperm-producing bits two to three degrees Fahrenheit lower than body temperature for roughly 64 days in order to complete one cycle of spermatogenesis, the sperm-making process. Mm. This is also assuming that his cells still undergo mitosis, which is likely as he appeals to, appears to heal from injuries, and that he produces typical amounts of regulating hormones, which is fuzzier but also plausible as he did undergo puberty. So Ari says 64 days. Uh, we have another theory from Micah who says, this is just one section of a, a longer email, but basically their point was like, it takes 64 days for a cycle of spermatid- spermatogenesis to happen, but you're you know producing sperm every minute of every day basically so in theory if the if body heat is the only factor the vampire wouldn't necessarily have to be heated to human body temperature for that entire time they could possibly just have a close cuddling session under a duvet for half an hour or take a warm bubble bath and could it wouldn't be a lot of sperm, but you really just need the one to make a baby. So 
either 64 days or half an hour. <laughs> I I love all this. This is great. It's like oh, I know so much so much biology. I love it. We can just say both are correct because like who even knows with like vampire anatomy. I mean, we're assuming that heat is the only issue. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember if it's ever stated if Baz is cooler than most people body temp was. He is. He's so cold and the world is so hot. That's... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Baz could potentially make a baby if he was able to just cuddle with Simon for half an hour and then jerk off into a cup to give to their surrogate. This unfortunately would probably not be the plot of any way the wind blows. <laughs> I wish it was. Jeez. <laughs> uh, the third book in which <laughs> our sweet tender boys have a baby. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Anyway, yes. What do you have here? Oh, uh, I just want to point out that Bez has a reflection, which makes sense since he is mostly alive, question mark. Uh, And also corpses have reflections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What do you think a headache shrinking spell would be? That's a good question. I don't know. I guess I can't really think of any like sayings that are specifically related to a headache to like say for sure. But I feel like there I feel like an apple a day would be a general just like healing spell of some kind. I don't know. I feel like the fact that she says shrink as opposed to like get rid of means that there must be something specific. Do any like do, like Tylenol or anything have a catchphrase? Maybe. If they do, I cannot think of any. Okay, please write in, listeners. Let us know how you would shrink a headache. Uh, do you have anything else here? Yeah, one more thing, which is uh, we get a very confusing description of Baz's fangs as pushing out over both of his lips, which I'm like, so does that mean he has fangs in the bottom and the top? Yeah. I was just like, I was like sitting there. I'm like, where are these fangs? Like, what? Where are they going? Yeah, he has like the Halloween, like the plastic ones that you get in your trick-or-treat bag type of fangs. Yeah. He has like anglerfish fangs. (laughs) That's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Except not as many. I'm like, like, do snakes have fangs in that? I feel like snakes only have fangs in the top. But I mean like... Dogs definitely have canines, yeah. like big canines, top and bottom. That's true. That is true. Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we will be reading chapters 68 and 69, so get caught up on that. Uh, this podcast is a creation of Hashtag Ruthless Productions and is produced, mixed, and edited by me. And we're on the internet. Jesse's going to tell you about it. Yeah, you can find us on the internet at the Gaily Prophet on Twitter and Instagram, which is also the name of our Harry Potter podcast. So yeah, check it out for updates and other cool things that we are doing there. You can also find us on our website, which is hashtag ruthless.com. And that's where you can find our merch, including some really great Simon Snow merch. Uh, and we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash thegailyprofit. And if you like hearing us talk about Buffy, that's a thing that you can get a heck of a lot more over on Patreon because we have a whole Buffy podcast there. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at live from Detroit and on Twitter at jesse underscore Detroit. And if you become a patron, you can also find me on our Discord channel where you can talk to me directly <laughs> about any about all of the things i guess <laughs> yeah very occasionally you can also talk to me but i'm stressed out by that so not that often <laughs> i'm as good at talking to people on the internet as i am in real life <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you can find me on Instagram at Lark Malachi, and that's also my website if you want a tarot reading. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester and also me, now that we have a new design. It's a combo effort. And our the music and our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. The rest of the music is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And until next time, Scatamoosh! Nailed it. We haven't done this in so long. <laughs> it's going to be great. We're, it's just like riding a bicycle or something. It's like riding a bicycle if you have to remember which of three intros of varying levels of complexity you need to do when mounting your bicycle. <laughs> I should have written it down. <laughs> All right, here I go. Thank you.